Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So so. So so. So so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions if you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Good morning and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst with Zagna alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting Andrew Ivinson, producer Lance Glenn. And today is another mailbag episode. But before we get to that, guys, make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcast, Apple and Spotify included. Make sure to leave a review on there as well. And if you have a question for a mailbag episode next week, now is the time to do that. We've got a lot of really good feedback and a lot of good questions. A couple of them pretty interesting. We're going to get to five today. So without further ado, I'm going to let our boy Lance Glenn take over. Hey, guys. How's it going? How's everyone doing this fine morning? That's the first mailbag question. How, how's everyone doing this fine morning? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Can't complain to myself. A little tired. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm I'm good to go. Good to, uh, good to get rolling. Um, so let's start, right? First one coming up. Uh, Charles Lester is announcing soon, I believe in a couple days, I think on the 28th, but I could be wrong. Um, don't quote me on it, but I believe it's the 28th. So I think it's Friday. That is correct. That is correct. Thank you, Andrew. So let's start with that first question. This one is from AG0997. He asks with Charles Lester announcing soon, as we said on Friday of his top schools, Alabama, Georgia, Florida state, and Colorado, which program or scheme do you think he fits best at? So not necessarily where he's going to choose, but which program or scheme do you think Charles Lester best fits at the next level? Coop, you want to start it off? (laughs) Yeah. um, I kind of went back and forth here on Charles Lester. And for those people that aren't familiar with the, the prospect, our number four ranked corner right now, number 38 overall, um, a kid that's over six foot, probably pushing six foot one, spent the past few years at, at Sarasota Riverview High School, has since transferred into Venice, which is a bit of a power five factory. Um, we've seen him a bunch on the seven on seven circuit. Um, guy that gets a ton of offensive snaps. If you watch his highlights, you look at what he did this spring. He's playing a lot of wide receiver plays some wildcat quarterback, but he is a a cover corner. And it's an interesting question. And I I think I went with Florida State, um, who is heavily involved in this recruitment. They hold the five crystal ball picks here two days before Charles is set to announce a decision. And I, I just look at 
Florida State, what Adam Fuller, the defensive coordinator, wants to do there on defense. You know, it's a, a 4-2-5 system with a, a lot of interchangeable parts, um, a lot of hybrid roles. He'll ask his corners to play some off-man, play some press-man, play some, some quarters. And I think Charles Lester kind of fits into that. Now, I also think he would fit at Alabama. Um, and I think we'll see what Colorado looks like. It's kind of hard to figure out what Charles Kelly, the, the defensive coordinator coordinator that comes over from Alabama is going to run, but I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be an aggressive system. So I, I just think Florida state, I think what's unique about Charles Lester is he could probably play some different spots in the secondary. And I, I think his skill set would fit what Florida State wants to do. And I think out of all these schools, Florida State's probably the one that needs him the most. I remember thinking after his junior year, or maybe it was his sophomore year, I remember thinking, hey, this guy could potentially be a nickel at the next level. So when you take that into consideration, he's a little bit longer than I thought. He's he's six foot one floating around 170, 175 pounds. I think there's two ways you can look at it. I, I think he fits at Alabama if you primarily see him on the outside. I like what you said about Florida State. When you start thinking about him playing multiple positions in that secondary, they got a guy already at Kempton, a little bit slider, kind of the same mold, who's playing the safety position. I think he's, like I said, I think he's got some nickel ability as well. So I think you can move him around. You talk about a base nickel defense is what Florida State plays. And listen, the majority of these teams, even if they're in a base 3-4, are going to be in nickel the majority of the times. So I think you can make a case for Georgia, but I think he's got more of an Alabama mold. That being said, I think the best schematic fit for Charles Lester that maximizes his ability at the end of the day would be Florida State. So I'm with you 110% there. And I think just the path to to playing time in Tallahassee, and I know that's probably not really the question, but you know, I look at their two deep, what they're kind of set to roll out here in 2023. I mean, just reading Knowles 247, like having scouted some of these guys in the past, Bernardo Green, who I think is going to be at their field corner position, like Charles Lester's light years ahead of him. Um, Keontae Kirkland, Kirkland, KJ Kirkland, a guy they signed last cycle. Sounds like he's going to push for playing time, like Charles Lester's a, a ahead of him. So, uh, and then on the flip side with Alabama, I mean, they already have what I think is probably the top, the nation's top corner hall, uh, with what they got committed. Zabian Brown, uh, Jalen Mbakwe, Jameer Grimsley. Like, I think that's kind of a crowded area. And I'm not saying, you know, like he should be scared of competition. I think these dudes, when they're ranked as high as they are and have made a name for themselves at a variety of different places, they expect to play. But I just think the opportunity there and I don't know, I, I'm still kind of waiting to see with with Colorado. And I, I think if he were to choose the buffs, it would pair him with what Cormani McLean, Travis Hunter before Travis leaves for the NFL. So you could shelter him a little bit as he as he developed and and got along, but I think at the end of the day, for me, the answer is Florida State. Uh, they got a new defensive back, secondary coach there, Pat Sertan, uh, the father of Pat Sertan Jr., who, if you read some of this preseason NFL stuff, is 
considered one of the top corners in the league. I think some lists have him number two and number three. And I've known Pat for a while, ran into him on the recruiting trail. And the number one thing he's looking for is, is size in the secondary. And obviously Charles Lester has just that. Now, one thing to note, obviously, and again, this question was all about scheme and fit, which program is best for him, not necessarily where he will choose. Uh, all eyes are right now on Colorado because he's taken a surprise visit there over the last couple of days. And he's, of course, scheduled to announce on Friday. So you'd assume that Colorado would be his last trip before he announces. And we've obviously seen in the past Deion Sanders make some uh, high-profile moves with some of the top corners in the nation over the last couple cycles. So this would kind of continue that trend. Not saying he's going to pick Colorado. Obviously, we don't know and won't know until he makes that decision on Friday. But something to watch in the recruitment of Charles Lester as he, at least over the last couple days, I don't know if he still currently is, but over the last couple days was in Boulder uh, visiting Coach Prime and the Buffs. A good question there, AG0997. This second question comes from Matt R. Nick. And it kind of comes off of the question that we talked about last week about who are the best assistant coach recruiters at the power five level. Well, he wanted us to dive more into the group of five level. So he asks, which G five coaches are the best recruiters? And then what, uh, what attributes are necessary? I'm going to say attributes. What attributes are necessary to successfully recruit at a group of five school compared to obviously recruiting at a power five school? Yeah, this one was interesting in terms of the preparation for it because it's not, Andrew, and you can add context to this if you want. For me, I, I don't have a great depth of understanding and feel when it comes to group of five recruiting. It's not typically what we do. A lot of our job is canvassing the top three to 400 players in the country and sure there's some, some crossover. Uh, when it comes to the group of five at times, but not as familiar. So what what I did is tried to take a holistic 35,000 feet approach and kind of dipped into my, my, my contacts at the group of five level and came back with some names. Joe Price was one that came up, receivers coach uh, at Texas San Antonio, obviously responsible for uh, Zachary Franklin, who just transferred uh, to Ole Miss, Ricky Hunley, defensive backs coach, at SMU, Carter Sheridan is an analyst at LSU, just got hired by Tulane. So there were there were a lot of names, whether it was Southern Miss or whether it was Troy, uh, Desmond Lindsay, uh, one of those guys as well, the receivers coach who I really like at Southern Miss, uh, Taylor Polk, defensive coordinator at Troy. Those are some of the names that came up. The second part of that question, you know, I'd have to lean on my experience at Cincinnati. I, I think when you're at a group of five, the challenges are is that you're going to have less resources and you're going to have less oomph on the recruiting trail. And the other part of recruiting at a group of five program is that you have to have uh, uncanny situational awareness when it comes to the particular recruitment that you're involved in. And in college football, it's obviously a food chain. So Andrew likes to talk a lot about you know, we, we get close to early signing day in, in December. The Sharks really start circling no, late November, early December. And that's when everybody kind of starts going through the vetting process of group of five programs. So 
you're almost threading the needle to say, okay, we, we want to bring in a difference maker to our program, but at the same time, those players kind of straggle the line of being good enough to be a player at the power five level that power five programs are going to sniff around and maybe they're trying to add a player late that they feel they can hit on or a good depth piece in state, whatever it is. It's really difficult. And we've talked a lot about Tulane and the job that they've done from a talent identification and evaluation process. Part of recruiting at the group of five level is knowing that you're going to lose guys. That's it. So the board and the depth and the attention to detail with how you recruit, that margin of error is super thin. So, you know, our, our, our rule of thumb at, at Washington was, and it was particular because we, we never offered more than 80 players a cycle. And that had a lot to do with Chris Peterson's background and, and, and character and academics. But that board would be seven, eight players deep. I, I think in most programs, it's twice that. But at the group of five level, I mean, you have to have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. <laughs> so there's a lot that goes into it at the group of five. And guess what? I mean, their job is more difficult than a lot of power five programs. And I have a deep respect for the guys that, have shown an ability to continue to add talent to their room time and time again, because you have to be super creative with how you do it, whether that's through the transfer portal or the high school ranks, there's not going to be one way that's saying like, this is the way at the group of five level, you just, you got to be innovative. I agree with a lot of what you said. I mean, what, what makes a successful group of five recruiter, I think you need to know who you are what the logo is on your chest and, and, and embrace that, right? Have that as your thought of mind. You said plan A, B, C. I think you need to plan D, E, F, right? Because it's hard, I think, at times, and especially in the college football, the, the current landscape with, you know, so many reported offers, like you, you have to have a really good feeling of like what's real and what's not. So you're trusting your eyes in terms of if you could walk into a school you know, there are going to be high school coaches, high school recruiting coordinators that are going to say, hey, well, this guy's offered by this, you know, this guy's offered by this person. Like, you got to stick to your guns and I, I think continue to build out a board. And I think what makes some of these group of five recruiters stand out uh, ahead and above some of their peers is they're really good at area recruiting. Um, whether it be South Florida, whether it be somewhere in Georgia, they kind of have a, a base where they are familiar with the community. Um, they're going to get real answers and they're going to lean on those connections to get guys on board. Um, and at the top of the food chain, like you said, um, your, your Alabamas and your Georgias of the world, they still do some area recruiting, but a lot of those guys are kind of positional recruiting. Um, so I, I think having a base somewhere, I, I've noticed that's kind of a trend. Um, when I sat down to, to kind of do this list, I did the same thing, Cooper. I reached out to a, a bunch of different contacts. And what's what's kind of crazy is some of the names that instantly came to mind for me, um, they're now at Power 5 schools. Like Steve Ellis was a great example. He was the corners coach at uh, 
East Carolina. I thought he did an excellent job making evaluations, had uh, the Pirates in it for a bunch of, of Power 5 talent. Well, he got hired at Louisville. Um, Marcus Davis was at, at Georgia Southern. I, I think that's his name, hired by Auburn this offseason. So I got three names. Um, and what I try to do, because when you also go through these group of five coaching staffs, like a lot of them have been at Power 5 places before. There, there's been one or two stops. So I try to come up with some names of guys that did not or haven't worked at the Power 5 level yet that I think could eventually make that jump and settle in well. So uh, three names here, Skylar McGee, co-defensive coordinator, defensive line coach at Liberty. I had someone pass this name along. Uh, he's been with Jamie Chadwell at four different stops, Coastal Carolina, Charleston Southern, Delta State, North Greenville. Uh, he's a Mississippi native, also coached at Georgia State, graduated from Southern Miss. He's the one when he was at Coastal Carolina that uh, pulled Josiah Stewart out of the Boston area. Stewart has since transferred into Michigan this winter, likely to get drafted. McGee, when he was at Georgia State, signed Thomas Gore, all Sun Belt interior defensive lineman. He transferred into Miami this offseason. He works the Peach State for Liberty. Um, I think this guy's kind of a, a rising star talking with someone inside their building. They're really high on the defensive line class that they just signed. Think he's going to play. So Skylar McGee is one name that was recommended to me. Chad Savage, wide receivers coach, recruiting coordinator at Colorado. This was a guy that was on the 24-7 sports, 30 under, under 30 list last August. I think he's only 29 years old. Colorado State has had a ton of success in California. Chad Savage is from the San Diego area. Pulled Damian Henderson, a really highly ranked three-star running back out of Los Alamitos last cycle. I think that was a steal for them. And then he's got two good guys committed, Darius Curry, Jordan Ross, this cycle. And I think he was credited with 10 guys last cycle. And then the final one, uh, Demarcus Van Dyke cornerbacks coach at FIU cheating a little bit here because he was at Miami on field for a little bit, but mostly in an analyst role from the South Florida area. Um, I, if, if you really have a memory, he's a guy that went four two eight at the NFL scouting combine. So every year that comes up, he ran one of the fastest 40 yard dashes um, single-handedly almost got Cormani McLean to Miami. He was a big reason why Miami was involved in that. He's left. Now he's at FIU. I touched on it last podcast. He has two corners committed that I think are, are, are really good. Well, I should say he had two. Larry Tarver, a kid that has flipped to Maryland, and then he's got this kid, Jamison Young. I think they're really good finds. And, and with Marcus Van Dyke, what, what's notable about him is his son plays in one of the biggest youth parks down here in the area. So I think at some point, one of these out-of-state programs is going to tap him to just be the guy that runs point in the Miami-Dade area. I talked about relationships, uh, identification, building out a board. Um, those were three names to, that came to mind. And I think anyone on that two-lane staff that we always talk about, I mean, you look at their commit list, it's like, whoa. I mean, there, there are some dudes here. So not sure if that answers the question, but those are three names I had. Yeah, a good question there from Matt Arnick. And I think it's a... Uh... It's really interesting to see group of five recruiting compared to power. I certainly muted myself. I think one of the best attributes, at least from a from my perspective, is I guess the ability to keep 
uh, not necessarily recruits quiet, but to keep the kids you committed away from sort of becoming nationally known, right? Like I've said, or I've heard you guys say multiple times, right? Like, oh, this staff would hate that I have this guy on my freaks list, or this staff would hate that, you know, we're so high on this guy, or we bump this guy up to this rating or that rating, right? Like, it's so important, I think, to keep a kid you have committed sort of under the radar that way these power five schools that sort of need to fill spots towards the end of the cycle don't see, Oh, this kid got bumped from an 84 to an 86. Let's, you know, maybe take a second look at him. So I think that that's something that's, that's pretty important if you're recruiting at a, a G five level, but a good question there from, from Matt Arnick. Um, and, and I think one that, uh, is, is, you know, interesting to, to look at and, and to kind of reevaluate maybe a year or two years down the line. The third one comes from HMN1101. Uh, this is an interesting that, question. That sounds like a college course. <laughs> HMN1101, yeah. Uh, this is from HMN1101. An interesting question, obviously, for me, uh, because Rutgers is going to play UCLA soon. Uh, so Chip Kelly's been a pretty big user of the transfer portal, and it seems in some years he would rather go that route instead of high school recruiting. Do you think that path is sustainable for the Bruins when they join the big 10 next season in 2024. That is a good question there from HMN. I think it's sustainable at a seven or eight win pace. You know, I mean, over the last two years, I think they took 14 transfers this year, 13 the year before. I think that's who UCLA is. And then obviously you add in Dante Moore into that equation. I think they, they got the guy at the quarterback position for their future. So I, I think UCLA is going to be in a position where they'll be a, I don't want to say a contending factor in the big 10, but they can be a thorn in some people's side. To me, UCLA has the potential to be something. So it depends on what your expectations are. They're never going to get there unless they recruit the high school ranks at a level that they're capable of doing. And outside of maybe one or two wins a year, they're not doing that. And that's super frustrating because I, I actually do think that they have the people in that building from a, a, a coaching standpoint to put these guys in the best position to succeed. And they've relied heavily on the transfer portal. That That's who they are. That's their DNA. And they want to microwave it. But now that you're in the Big Ten, and they had a, you know, they had a four-year starter in DTR. I don't know. You're on the same pace. So my, my question is, is like, what is your expectation? Are you trying to win the Big Ten? And a lot of people at UCLA would say, of course. But in terms of the way that they're constructing their roster right now, I wouldn't say that they're putting their best foot forward when it comes to actually being a contender in that conference. So I think they can continue at a pace of seven, eight, maybe nine wins, depending on the year and what talent is coming back to the roster. But in terms of them being a contender in that conference up against the, the likes of Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, USC, Wisconsin now with Luke Fickle, no. Like, they, they're going to have to change and adapt, and if they're not going to do that, then I, I think they are what they are. I think it's hard to knock what they've – what they've done in the transfer portal. Um, I would kind of agree with you and Chip Kelly coming from the NFL. Like, I think they were a little more 
they realize sooner than others that, hey, the transfer portal is kind of free agency. Now, I, I always say it. I mean, the, the high school recruiting is still kind of like the NFL draft. And I, I think it's still vital and important. And I think Cooper brings up a ton of good points just with some of the programs that are going to develop in-house in the Big Ten. Like, how are they going to break through? Because the, the biggest question mark for me, and I think this is – this would apply to any school. If you're gonna if you're gonna live in the in the veteran mercenary market, like you better be pretty dang sure that you're gonna hit on 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 the big boys up front on the offensive line. And I look at, at UCLA past two cycles, so that would have been 2022, 2023. They only signed three high school offensive linemen. And and why does that matter? Well, anytime there's a big body of value in the transfer portal, whether that be a guard and more specifically so an offensive tackle. I mean, the market is 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 hot and heavy for those guys. Those guys are getting out-recruited, over-offered, because everyone needs a corner protector. And um, just kind of reading on, on UCLA, it seems like they might start three veteran transfers up front on the offensive line. I mean, they've done well there getting offensive linemen in the transfer portal. But I think the risk you run is those guys have to come in and play. And they have to hit. So that's kind of my my fear question mark with them moving into the Big Ten. I mean, it is a line of scrimmage game in, in that league. So, you know, what does the offensive line look like? You know, how do you keep restocking and replenishing that? Because I, I think it's a bit risky just with the transfers. I'll say this, though. I, I think what's unique about UCLA, and I've always felt this way about them, USC, and Miami. You guys are, you know, those schools, and I guess you could throw Arizona and Arizona State, like they're in, in warm weather, desired locations. And I think that becomes attractive to transfers. I mean, if I was on, on the other side working at one of those schools and and we were going after, you know, a fifth-year senior, I'd be like, hey, man, treat this like, you're in an NFL draft prep. You know, if if you signed with an agent, they're going to put you in one of these cities and, you, and you're going to be training. So I, I do think that's what's kind of unique about UCLA's location. Um, but yeah, I, offensive line, that, that, that would be what I have circled with this current model they have in place. I mean, a little, little sidebar question here is like, I do think Chip Kelly is the right person for the transition into the Big Ten. But in terms of UCLA maximizing their potential in that conference, I don't think he's the long-term solution. I mean, would you agree with that? I mean, that's kind of the way, like, at some point, you hit your ceiling. It's kind of like Paul Christ at Wisconsin. Now Luke Fickle comes in and brings it into a little bit more high definition and kicks it into another gear. And I think there's somebody out there that's capable of bringing UCLA to new heights. Not to say that the guy that they have in the building right now is an issue, but I think they got another gear that they're capable of reaching. Yeah, why can't they recruit like Oregon? They should. They don't. I think that I, I think that comes down to uh, quite honestly, uh, stark difference in philosophy and a lack of one two. You know, one way is convenient, the other way isn't. One quick aside. Uh, I did say, you know, people mocked me back in 2013, 2014, 
when I said Rutgers will one day make it to the Rose Bowl. Well, in 2025, they will when they play UCLA at the Rose Bowl. <laughs> so for all you who mocked me, joke's on you. Because Are you going to go to that? I've actually – this could be another mailbag question. Will I go to that game? Um, I've actually debated. My dad and I, when we first found out that UCLA and USC were joining the Big Ten, because my dad also went to Rutgers, um, we were like, oh, when they go out there, like, we got to go. We'll make a, you know, fun weekend trip out of it. You know, maybe like a Thursday to obviously come home on a Sunday or something like that. Um, so it's it's a possibility for sure. Um, not saying a definite, but it's definitely being talked about. Uh, so I guess we'll have to wait and see come 2025 uh, whether or not I, I find my way out uh, to the Rose Bowl. I think USC is coming in 2024. Four or USC might be coming to Rutgers in 2025, and then Rutgers may be going there in 2026. But nevertheless, it's definitely a possibility. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24/7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick Six, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick Six has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Great question there from HMN1101. Moving on to question four. This is from MAL1, so another class-like username. With the physical traits he has, I think six six. I don't remember the exact exact weight, but with the physical traits he has, how close is Elijah rushing from moving up even higher in the rankings from number eight where he's at right now to potentially the top five? Good question, I think. I mean, he's close. That's why he's number eight, right? I mean, he's he's a physical specimen he's he's very different you know the last measurements we had on him were from 2022 and he's a shade under 66 he was 225 at the uh, at the time i think if i had to guess he's he's probably around 240 pounds right now the length the short area quickness the athleticism it's all there so i he he had i don't want to be mistaken here he had 11 and a half sacks last season he was productive there's another step that needs to be taken for Elijah rushing to move in from that really good high ceiling, intriguing bucket to, okay, this guy is a bona fide dude. And we believe that he's got the physical clay and he's got the makeup to get there. I think he's got a great opportunity in his senior season. And that being said, like, I think Andrew will back this. This top 10 is about as wide open as it's been since I've been here. 
in, in the two years that I've been at 24 seven sports. I mean, there's not a, you know, the, I, I would say the, the conversation is open at number one for Dylan Rayola. I would say Jeremiah Smith is probably the guy that we feel the most confident in. And then outside of that, it's a little bit of a crapshoot, you know, whether that's positional value, whether that's some guys that have the physical makeup, but maybe there's some question marks outside of that. So I think the door is open for Elijah Rushing to move up. And like I said, it's not because of lack of physical traits, which you bring up in your question. It's just more, I'm ready to see him dominate. I think that's the next step. And I think he's capable of doing it. You know who he kind of reminds me of from last cycle? And this isn't like a player comp, but I think they're in similar situations is Keon Keeley, who signed with Alabama, right? I think we liked everything we knew about him. We just wanted to see that next level, and we got it at the All-American Bowl in San Antonio. We came out of there feeling very convicted on Keeley. And I think you could put Elijah rushing in the same bucket, you know, has the features, has the production, but you just want to see it against elite competition. So I think for him, the all-star season is going to be so big. And just to echo what you're saying, Cooper, like in that 32, I don't even know how many of the guys that, that you know, across the board, our, our team of people around the country are, are all in on. I think everyone kind of has their favorites. There isn't really a consensus. And I think, it's go, what's going to make these senior seasons exciting, you know, learning more about these individuals. And and right now, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of up in the air. It feels like we got a lot of wide receivers up there, you know, trying to get the positional value all spread out. Yeah, and, and speaking of wide receivers, uh, that actually leads us to our fifth and final question. You said we got a lot of receivers up there in the top 32. Uh Ivan, correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's eight, seven or eight in the top 32 currently at the moment. Okay. Uh, eight right now. So a lot of wide receivers up there. This is a fun question. This is from Zone D Wins. He asks, he or she asks, uh, who from the 2024 wide receiver class would you want to have if you were putting together a basketball team? That's a good well, question. That's a fun question. I love this. I built a starting five. Let's so. hear it. Are you want five deep? I got a six man too. Wow. You know, there is re- how, how deep did you go, Coop, before you go, Andrew? Because there is also I, three man basketball now in the Olympics. So you could have went three. Yeah, I was, I was thinking more three, and I kind of went from the standpoint of like, okay, who over the last five years could you make an argument and have the best receiving court? I went to, I think it was. Forget what year, Alabama, Rugs, Judy, and Devontae Smith, I believe. I yeah, be wrong. Waddle. Didn't they waddle? And then LSU with Chase Jefferson, and then I think Terrace Marshall was in there as well. And then you had uh, one other one I'm missing: Ohio State, Garrett Wilson, Alave. Jackson Smith and Jigba. And then not to mention Marvin Harrison was a young pup at that at that point. So to me, it's like I guess I, I went, I looked at those trios 
and I said, all right, which which one would I prefer in terms of how to build it? Ohio State is kind of the one that that sticks out. When you start to think about the Jigba in terms of being the guy that you can move around a little bit out of the slot, Garrett Wilson, who plays a lot bigger than what he is, wide catch radius, and then Alave, really the explosive deep play threat. You could go a lot of different directions, but still in my head, I'm formulating all right, who kind of meets that criteria. I think you can plug and play. I mean, we got we got eight receivers in the in the top 32. That's not even including Terry Bussey, right? So I think there's a lot of different ways you can go, but Drew, it sounds like you got it planned out. So I might I might hear what you got going first, and then maybe based off of what you have, I might try to choose some different names. Okay, well, the first one's kind of cheating. Uh I think I got an idea. Uh, Daniel Freetag. He's not in our top two, four, seven. He's <laughs> not what I expected. <laughs> he is. He is committed to Wisconsin for basketball. Number nine ranked point guard for twenty four seven sports. Number ninety seven overall. Um, average twenty eight and five on the hardwood. I guess he was going to play hoops. He was going to go to one of those hoops powerhouses out in California, but announced two days ago that he's going to stay in Minnesota. They believe that's because he also wants to play football. So he'd be one of my starting guards. Yeah, I, I came up with five names, man. I, I thought that was the question. You took uh, the basketball thing very seriously there, I see. Well, because there's a lot of hoops, guys. Right. My, my second guard, Joseph McVeigh. He's a Vanderbilt commit out of Arkansas. Led his team to the 2A Final Four. Um, he is under six foot, but he's on the baseline dunking over people. All tournament team. Drops windmills and warm-ups, 23 points in the quarterfinals. I think he's got a six over six foot in the high jump, 22.8 on the on the GPS. So him. Now we're gonna get to, to some of the big names. Mike Matthews. I think you would have to have him in there, right? If if we're talking about basketball. I mean, he had a Mississippi State hoops offer at one point, talking about the Tennessee commit, scored over 20 when he committed. We went into detail about his his hoops background, but I, I think we failed to point out that dad played at Siena, who has made a few tournament runs, and then he was overseas in Europe. And then my two forward spots, Caleb Odom, Alabama commit, tight end, but he's kind of really a wide receiver, big flex guy. LSU apparently offered him in in a dual sports scholarship. I don't I don't know if that's real, but he played on the EYBL circuit. Um I don't even think we've ever discussed as a group his basketball footage. He is a – he can score. He can attack the rim. He can play above the rim. So I'd have him. And then finally, Cam Coleman um, started as a as a forward for a team that made the Final Four, won a playoff game on a fast-break dunk, multiple alley-oops, Texas A&M commit. Um, and then my sixth man, Will Senefrini. Um, out of Texas, Cooper, he was the guy at the Elite 11 finals that ran into the pylon. Do you remember that? I do. <laughs> I do the, 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 the white guy, he's got a he's got a few basketball offers, and uh, he can also score. So I don't know if I answered the question right, but those are, I think, some of the top basketball players in the, in the 24 cycle. I think I misunderstood the question. I think I read it. I, I read it the wrong way. I read it as more like 
or putting a receiver room together is like putting together a basketball team, which is what we always talk about. Okay, well, let's do that. Well, I, now that you answered your question, now I kind of want to piggyback off what you did. I think I'd have Terry Bussey at point guard. I think Mike Matthews, you got to have. He's like a Russell Westbrook, open floor, small ball, uh, number two, two guard there. I think combination of, I think, Courtney Crutchfield, mm. Leaper. Um, you know, you're looking for the size. I think Wesco is another guy. You know, you think about his his background and triple jump, high jump, his dad being in the Hall of Fame in Louisiana Tech and 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 uh both those events. Here's a name for you, Nitro Tuggle. Yeah. Big physical athletic frame. So the other way that I would answer that question based on the way that I perceive the question, um I can, so you, what you're saying is like you got three starting wide receivers on the field. You want three different skill sets. What is the best three you could assemble? Correct. 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 Okay. So yeah, answer it that that's way. Kind of, yeah, that's kind of the way that I was I was looking at it. Um, yeah. With that being said, I mean, here's what I'll try to do. I'll try to take the top five receivers in the country off the board. That way it makes this a little bit more challenging for me. So, 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 so eliminating Jeremiah Smith, Ryan Wingo, Bryant Wesco, Perry Thompson, and Cam Coleman are all gone. Correct. Okay. I think in terms of inside slot versatility, dynamic after the catch, I think that's Terry Bussey for me. I think perimeter playmaker guy that can do a little bit of everything. I would be between Courtney Crutchfield and Nitro Tuggle. And then for me, let's say there's so many interesting options. I think Micah Hudson is a guy that that stands out immediately. I think Gatlin Bear, more of a straight line guy. Cam Williams, more of possession with a high ceiling. I really like Nitro Tuggle. So let's let's lock him into one of those spots. And then I got my burner on the inside with Bussy. I'm gonna go Kylan Billyot opposite. I think he's got his <laughs> best, best ball. I was gonna say him, and, and then I like what you did. I I think if you wanted to throw like a a big physical guy in there, what about Nick Marsh, the Michigan State commit, young? Absolutely, yeah. You can go a lot of different ways. This is a super talented receiver group. I think you could put Draylon Miller in the slot as well, Texas A&M commit. Very very different type of. He's built like a running back. I almost kind of see him like Debo Samuel esque. Right, not as much horsepower there, but in terms of position versatility. And then I think there's like a lot of like pure pint-sized burners. Jair Hawkins, who's headed to Florida, um, Zion Reagans, who's headed to Oklahoma. Like those guys are kind of in the same mold, you know, under 5'10, but can absolutely fly. It just kind of depends on how you'd want to build it out. I Kylan. Is it Belot? Is that how you say it? Belot? Bill Yacht. Bill, Bill Yacht. Yacht. Dude, I mean, he is. He's he's what I like on the outside. The other guy on the inside that I really like, that I think you and I really liked in person at OT7, and then you turn on the tape, and I love the tape. High floor, versatile. He's got some, got some, some things to him in the return game as well as Jeremiah McClellan. I think he's going to be a really good football player. Love yeah. his game. And then the Ch- Chicago Baker is a complete 
complete wild card category, right? Yeah. Think about TCU, Chicago Baker, and Cordell Russell. It's going to be difficult, difficult to defend there. Boss Haney as well. It'll be fun. That's a fun Good question. Cool. I like that Good question. question. I, the one guy, the one guy I and I have not obviously evaluated these guys or scouted any of them. I simply know them by name. Uh, but if I was looking for a center solely based off of the height of some of these prospects, I would probably go to as I was scrolling the 2024 wide receiver rankings. Probably go to Ivan Carrion, who I think is committed to Oklahoma. It seems like he's the tallest of the bunch at six six, based on at least how far I've scrolled so far. Uh, so that's who I would go with at center in case anyone was curious. Again, I have not scouted any of these guys. I don't know their leaping ability or their speed or their size, other than the fact that he is six six based on uh, the twenty four seven sports uh, profile of him. Uh, so that's that's how I would go. Uh, but a good question there. I think that's I think those questions are, are a lot of fun. Sorry, Andrew. No, you're. I mean, I think. Like if you wanted a true, I know the questions about wide receivers, but man, some of these tight ends out there, I mean, they, they have basketball backgrounds. Like I do think one of the clear cut strengths of this class or this cycle as a whole is the tight end position. And, uh, you know, again, I, I said Caleb Odom and that starting five, you got Christian Bentaker who's headed to Clemson. Like he's a all state basketball player. You got Walter Matthews, who's, Kind of a one of one. I mean, Jaden Riddell, who's headed to Texas. We haven't even talked about Carter Nelson. I mean, there are some yeah, guys out there. About your guy Luke Reynolds, man. Yeah, basketball player. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's deep. Trey Des Green headed to LSU. I mean, you go in a variety of different ways. My my question is, and this is away from away from the twenty twenty four class. Have either of you guys ever dunked? No. No, Cooper. Uh, yeah, dunked on like an eight foot goal. I used to have a trampoline in my backyard. An eight foot to, what? You know, I'd have the ten foot goal Would over call the fence, it? and then it was over the trampoline. A little slam ball action. A little slam slam ball's back. By the way, has anyone watched Why that? Why would I think you ask that question when you already know the answer to it? <laughs> I haven't dunked either. I was just curious if either of you guys have dunked. I don't know. I can't dunk. I'm only five, it's a sincere five, miscalculation of both of our athletic abilities. Hey, uh, maybe I don't know. You never know. I, you guys, you guys, you know, both both work out, both uh, played sports. I'm assuming in high school, uh, as did I. I but again, I'm I only five six, six, five seven. Uh, <laughs> although the sport we all play now, I know Andrew, you do uh, CrossFit, but uh, I know the sport that I think we all play now is golf. And obviously, there's not much leaping ability in golf needed, I should say. Um, hey, Lance. Yeah. Congratulations on a uh, 91. Thanks, man. Weekend, you got a 90, you. man. Congrats on 90. Yeah. yeah, I we were talking about it yesterday before, but I just my wife likes to joke around that when it comes to golf, I'm a I, I'm a choker. And that was kind of illustrated last weekend when I shot a 91. I was at an 82 through 16. Um, and I had a par three and a par five to finish it up. I ended up going five, five in my last two holes. So I parred the par five, which is great, but my tee shot, it was over water on 17 par three. It was over water. First tee shot, boom, splash in the water. So second tee shot, I'm already hitting three. I get it on 
Okay, trying to putt to uh to save bogey, missed that putt, but then uh, putt in for five. So to back up what my wife usually says, I, I choked. I choked down the last two holes. I, I saw below 90 in my future, and I collapsed. I don't know what it was. I don't know if I just got into my head, but. Have you ever broken 90 before? No, I haven't. So it was, it was a big deal. Um, I hate to say it, it's probably going to be a while before you get another opportunity. That's what like I'm that. thinking, man. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. Um, I hope not. Same goes for me. I hope not, but you never know. You never know. I could have one of those rounds where it's just like, man, I'm, I'm in my Tiger Woods bag. But uh, no but nevertheless, but uh, those are the five questions we have. Good questions. Remember, if you want uh, your question answered, make sure to leave a five-star rating and a review or comment below on the tweet that I usually put out the day before at around noon Eastern. So, Cooper, I'll throw it back to you. All right, guys. As Lance said, we appreciate you listening to the show. As always, we'll be back for one more episode this week, Thursday, July 27th. And then, boys, I am off to Nashville on Friday this week. I, I don't think we're going to miss a beat. I'll be back. I'll be in the office on Tuesday. I need to figure out whether or not I'm going to do the podcast from home or from the office. I'll figure that out. But new location, same show. Guys, we appreciate you joining us for Andrew Adams. Thanks, Glenn. We're second. See you tomorrow. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.